All right, NLX2 crew, we're back at it with another podcast here. Very excited for what we got going today. Um, actually just got this going on a whim. I'm glad it worked out. And um, so today we have Sean Hope, um, good buddy, met through the gym, met through the good word of strength. And um, so I'll just kind of have you introduce yourself real quick and what we're going to go over, man. Yeah, so uh, like you said, we met through the gym and uh, both played college football and got a kumbaya out over that. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, we've been kind of following each other around town. We never get a lot of time to hang out, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So I'm uh, EMT. I'm in oil and gas, also um, strength training, Ironman training, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've got plenty to talk about. I'm sure. Yeah. How's that balance, dude? Um, with EMT, oil and gas. I mean, during during COVID area, probably you were able to get that balance a little bit better. But yeah. So I mean, when I first started my EMT career, I mean, I was all in, feet deep, two hundred. 250 hours a month. Um, I just fell in love with it. Um, now I've backed off a lot. I'm like maybe four shifts a month. Um, I'm obviously part-time for EMT, but yeah. now the oil and gas side and then obviously our drilling construction side has picked up. Um, so I don't get as much time doing EMT work as, um, I'd like to, Yeah, but I mean, yeah, COVID was crazy. Everybody, it, 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 there, there wasn't a sector that it didn't hit, which is very weird. Um, oil, we have deep roots in oil and gas here for people that are outside of North Dakota. Uh, but every single industry, it was healthcare. My wife's in healthcare, every, uh, teaching, having a gym was <laughs> top five, one of the worst things you could do at that time. But, um, actually ended up, we got, we got busier afterwards. I don't know how the rec center did, but, um, it, it actually helped afterwards let us kind of set aside the work and make the upgrades that we need to do like now so that helped a lot um how long were you into uh emt did it kind of start out as a hobby and then you just went all in for it so no so i was actually first on scene for a fatality accident coming back from the oil field one day and obviously we work uh you know we work on heavy equipment all the time um you know dangerous gases all that kind of stuff so i was more like I want to protect my guys and make sure I know what's going on and how to help them. Cause I mean, it took from the time of the accident, I was first on scene, um, for emergency responders to get to where we were was almost an hour and a half. We were in the middle of nowhere up North here, up North. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I got into it once I got into the classes and once I started doing it, once I got some time in the back of a rig, I really fell in love with it. And I was like, man, this is what I want to do. Like this is, Something great. And so, when was that? When was this accident? So it had to be about this time, maybe two years ago. So yeah, winter day like this, uh, 40 below, uh, guy slid through a corner on a highway, um, you know, snow blowing up that corner, freezing all day and uh, T-boned another guy. Dude. Killed him instantly. So that's rough. Um, it's, I guess you can find your calling in a lot of different ways, but I'm, I'm glad that somebody that actually has a vested interest in doing that. I, like I, like we were talking before we got on, uh, my cousin was doing EMT and I was telling you, he doesn't hold many people. He's, he's very stingent with, uh, opinion and he, he has a lot of respect. He has good buddies that actually were on scene for the Vegas shooter. Um, so that's crazy. Um, saw some pretty gruesome things. And so I, uh, man, I, I'm not in, in, the, in the industry, but I hold them very highly too. That's well, pretty cool. I, I think it translates. I mean, we liaison with police fire all the time. I mean, all those guys, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just amazing how the stuff that all of us have to see, the stuff we all have to deal with, um, you don't really think about it. 
Yeah. You know, if you're outside of the industry, I never thought about it. Yeah. I never thought about the things that I dealt with, things that even in a small town, the drugs and stuff like that. I mean, it's just, it's pretty amazing that there are people that find that calling. Yeah, so. dude. Um, my hometown got completely stricken. So the, the economy kind of crashed. We have some government land that they're not allowing drilling to happen in Wyoming. And so the economy crashed, drugs set in, and um, a lot of the EMT work there is drug related, a ton. Opiates have completely taken over the industry. Um, and it's, it's ugly to see cause I got caught up in that early on and, uh, seeing a lot of people just go down that path is, is hard to see, man. Um, and, uh, I was teaching yesterday, so I got yeah. asked to come in as a guest speaker. And one of the kids asked, was like, what's the most frequent call that you see? And to tell high school age kids that one of the most frequent calls I see in a town of 25,000 people is drug related mm-hmm. and overdoses. And that, you know, 10 years ago, cops weren't carrying Narcan. No, nope. you know? I, I carry Narcan at the college now. I so mean, it's amazing. Yeah. I, uh, I got asked cause I, I had some experience. All my, my listeners not here. No, I actually had to go to treatment. I got hooked on pain medication fast and it was a very ugly road. Um, but it's been five years, uh, clean. And, uh, so I got approached and by, by an athlete and he said, I, I can't play football without this. Um, I had a surgery, I'm begging for more. And so I actually was able to mentor him. But at that moment I was like, why wouldn't I, you know, like to some extent, it's sad that I have to carry something like that, but I, you can see it and you, you're more trained. I I'm, I'm trained. My eye is trained because I was there. You're mm-hmm. trained in a more medical profession, but you can see it on their faces when, right. when they're using. And so, uh, ended up carrying some Narcan I haven't had to use it yet, but it's, it's there. Yeah. It's crazy. And, um, has it, so you've been in two years, has it, um, has it been pretty steady with drug related stuff or has there been a change at all? It's gotten worse. It's gotten worse. And so I think a lot of it is, and and we were talking about this yesterday was you're seeing a lot of, you know, the fentanyl epidemic, a lot of these things are getting mixed and cut into these drugs. And so we have users that we'll bring back that we'll, we'll Narcan and we'll save. And they'll be like, I didn't do anything different than I've ever done before. I've been a user for 10 years and this has never happened. I've never OD'd. I've never done this. Um, and so it's more the type of drugs and, and what's getting put in those drugs that is making it harder on us and harder on the, on the strain on the system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's why we're seeing this higher rate of, of overdose. My wife was, uh, she, she's in the OB now, but she worked in the ICU in Fargo, the brand new hospital there. And, uh, it, you get to this dilemma and I'm probably sure you've seen it. And she is a very morally just, very nice person, but she got to the, the position where how many more times do I save this person's life? I've seen him five times on an overdose now, you know, like, where's that, where's that line? Like, when do you stop doing this? Um, and I mean, waking up being pissed off that these nurses and doctors saved your life. It's an, it's an ugly road to be in. I'm probably sure you've run into it a few times. Well, that's the thing. But if you've never talked to somebody that's an addict and if you've never been around somebody that's been an addict and people look at it as, oh, it's something they can stop. Oh, it's something they can stop with no help. Oh, it's something that, you know, they're just doing it recreationally and, mm-hmm. and they're screwing up and overdosing. It's, it's no, I mean, it's, it's an, it's a sickness. Mm-hmm. I don't want to tell you that. I mean, mm-hmm. it is really that there it's such a pull and it, it chemically changes your body. Yeah. And genetics lead into that. You can, you can have this fork in the road genetics lead into it. I had uh, family members, complete addicts. Uh, however, it, 
it is a disease and to some extent, um, you can't help it to some extent, but some people can, and you can make that conscious decision to change. Um, but the chemistry of the brain is completely altered over chronic use, over long-term use. And I, I still have that, um, strength and conditioning is that new thing. And it, it always was. So even when I was doing pain medication early, early on freshman, sophomore year of college, I was starting as an outside linebacker. I had all this pressure. And so I wanted to play, but I had all these issues of shoulders and knees. And so the only thing that would allow me to do it was that, well, it progressed to much worse things, but having that, having that pressure on you, um, to do that is, can become overbearing. And to some extent after that long term, cause it was high school into freshman, sophomore year, everything that I did had to be to the extreme. And a lot of these people that run into that, it's everything has to be to the extreme, but now you're getting reintroduced to these new drugs that they are pushing it to the stream, but that's, that's what's killing them because a lot of this different fentanyl and heroin getting put into a lot of this stuff. Is there, is the opiates, the, the main movement here, or I mean, a lot of meth, a lot, of, but you don't see as the severe overdoses with that. No, no, yeah. not at all. I mean, yeah, you run across meth addicts that are calling in for different things, whether they're, you know, you know, out of their mind on drugs or whatever, and they're seeing things or they think something's wrong. Uh, the majority of overdoses you're going to see are opiates. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's progressively got worse. Do you see any end in sight of it getting better? Maybe has, has, uh, maybe COVID has been a catalyst for that as well. A lot yeah, of people I've, staying home. A lot of people staying home. A lot of people depressed. A lot of people, you know, shut up and, and looking for some sort of escape, I, yeah. I think is part of it. But um, no, I don't think there's an end in sight. I don't see a good, I mean, at least from a medical standpoint, they're trying to do what they can with drugs and dosing. And mm -hmm. I know that when I was a college athlete and uh, I had to be on opiates, I mean, our trainer took that because she yeah. had had a similar, she had had an addiction when she was a college athlete. She locked in your desk and you had to come to her. Yep. So she knew that you were metered out your doses, you weren't selling it or doing whatever with it. Um, I mean, it takes a lot of vigilance and you just, a lot of people don't understand. A lot of people don't see it or haven't been around it or don't know. And they don't know the signs. They don't know the warnings. Yep. And it just creates this progressive path. That's actually good to hear. I, I never knew that. Like when I was there, it was whatever you needed to play, you play. Um, but also to that extent, I abused that. You know, it wasn't just that doctor, that person allowing that. I was persuasive. I was, I know how to do that. Um, and early two thousands in high school, I had my first shoulder surgery in sophomore year of high school. Um, back then they didn't have the inter doctor system where you knew who was getting these med medications from there. So you could go doctor shopping very easily nowadays. And even contrasting Wyoming to North Dakota, Wyoming was much less conservative. Um, North Dakota had a very, a, a little bit better system into it, but even then it's still going to, it's going to take over everywhere, you know, and it has, uh, you're originally from Denver. Um, in the past it's had Denver as itself, um, has had its issues too. Um, what's your, what's your thoughts? Do you think the medical marijuana movement has assisted in the opiate epidemic or where does that kind of stand for you? When, I mean, cause how, I mean, yeah. when was the last time you were home? Uh, it's been a while now. Yeah. It's been probably a year now, yeah. um, obviously with COVID. I mean, we weren't traveling a lot, but um, I think you see a lot more social differences back home, you know, as far as like 
the society and, and, you know, the culture that goes with marijuana. I don't necessarily, I mean, I haven't talked to a lot of friends back home. Um, mm. Billy that we'll talk about at some point. I mean, he's a cop in Denver. Yeah. Um, he says that drugs are getting worse in the city, but um, I don't know if it's, it's necessarily a catalyst for worse drugs. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, maybe you're bringing in people that are part of that culture, part of that scene so that they have hookups as far as dealing or whatever it is that might aid that. But I don't necessarily think it's just has to do with the fact that it's legal now. Yeah. I wonder, I don't have anybody that I know there, but in, or I wonder this longevity, I want to see this, these studies come out of what's going to happen in Oregon or what's going to happen in these places. Is it going to be um, a net positive or is this going to kind of be a a waterfall into something very negative? Do you have any thoughts on all that legalization on that side? So I think you're probably going to get a negative effect. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to end up on a net negative on this because I just think that it's a slippery slope. Once you start there and they're like, well, this is legal. Like it's not that far over the line to step into trying this or to do this, or there's more access, be it from, you know, people that are coming in that were primarily dealing weed yeah. to kids to now they have to step to something else. And so all of a sudden there's, there's more of a availability. So I, I have that same argument. You have a lot of people that say, legalizing marijuana is going to, um, cut down on the profit that, uh, even cartel members or anybody, any big time drug dealers are going to have. And those people are professional business people. They're going to move to something else. When a business, when an industry dies, you move, you move on. And so people don't realize that, that they said, well, we're going to legalize it everywhere. It's going to it's going to break down that footprint of the cartel. It's actually probably going to make it worse to some extent because they've already, they're already ahead of the game. They've already moved to heroin. They've already moved to fentanyl. They've already moved to these different aspects that in the end, I would rather it be marijuana to some extent, you know, um, growing up in Denver, how was that man? How was, uh, did you enjoy being close to Denver? Did you enjoy the city life? How was it? Yeah, it was great. It's, it's a lot different now. Um, it's gotten so big. Yeah. Um, it was the best small city in the world. I mean, it was, you were 20 minutes out of the city. You could go to a sports game pretty easy. Um, you know, where I grew up, you didn't see like the bad side that people talk about, about a city. You didn't see the crime. You didn't see any Mm -hmm. of that. We were in a nice suburb. Um, you had every opportunity in the world in a city, but it felt like you were in a small town. You knew people when you went to the grocery store, you know, the things that we love here. Yep. Um, of being in a small town. So you're in a smaller community, but you had the access to everything a big city offers. Nice. What did your, uh, what did your parents do there? So my old man was a lawyer. Oh, nice. And then mom was a high school teacher for 30 years. Yeah. Nice. What did she teach in high school? Business. Business. That's sweet, man. Yeah. Um, retired now? Both retired. Awesome. Both retired. Awesome. So that's pretty cool. They get to come help you with your projects and stuff too. Oh, yeah. Um, how, what, what brought you um, I want to hear that kind of story selfishly because I don't know it. What brought you from Denver making this progression to North Dakota? So I played football at UMary. Yeah. Um, spent four years down there. Vowed I'd never come back to North Dakota. <laughs> um, I was like, man, it's, it gets cold up there. It's it's not, uh, you know, pretty small city. Mm-hmm. Um, so I left. I lived in New Zealand for about two years um, working and, and having fun. And yeah. then uh, came back to the States for about a year. And I just wasn't going anywhere. I was selling wine for a living, uh, liquor sales rep. Um, it was fun, but I was like, man, I need that next step. I need that big career. Um, so I kind of reached out to the generation older than me. Those people are about 10 years older. They're established. 
and happened to know a guy that worked for a huge oil company. He was like, if you're willing to go back to North Dakota, I can get you to work. And it, 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 at the time, we are in the biggest oil boom we'd ever seen. Yep. And I was like, well, that's the place to be. So that was about six years ago now that I came back. Cool. So, and it's been great. It's been uh, everything I wanted it to be. Yeah, so. yeah. Were you, did you play at Mary around or sometime close to like Tanner Schweitzer when he was there? Was he before or after? He would have been know? before me, I think. Before you? A little bit, yeah. Okay. I'm always giving him a hard time. He puts on a race over in Bismarck and uh, he actually has a few videos, us just kind of talking shit, Hawks and the Mary feud. So it was a lot cooler back in the day. Now it's kind of faded, you know? Yeah. Um, how was that experience? I, I've, I've had friends that ride or die loved Mary and I've had friends that didn't want to be there. Same as Dickinson, you know, yeah. how was, how was your experience in Mary? Well, I mean, coming up and I'm sure that you were the same, like you wanted to probably go play for Wyoming or whoever. <laughs> Man, I was called, we were Colorado state diehard. Yeah. My whole family went to Colorado state and I was never big enough or fast enough or strong enough to do that. And so I kind of came in with a chip on my shoulder, like, Hey, I should have been here. Yeah. Um, and I didn't take advantage of my college career the way I should have. I didn't train hard enough. I didn't focus enough. Um, and it's, you know, that first time you got to be pretty mature stepping out of your comfort zone. I mean, I was, you know, 12 hours away from home. Yeah. That's and, different. You know, all the, you know, partying and, and all that kind of stuff. I didn't really focus on what I wanted to focus on. Yeah. Um, you know, I wish, you know, you always want to know then what you know now. Mm -hmm. um, I wish I would have taken more advantage of it. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a good experience. I learned a lot. It wasn't what I wanted out of my college experience as far as like playing and uh, the sports and that kind of stuff. I, I wish it was a bigger school. Um, but now that I'm older and I can look back at it, I'm like, man, I learned so much about myself, so much about how to do things. Um, and it's really shaped a lot from that point. Yeah. I, uh, you, you came up right before I did too. And so when I was getting recruited out of high school, um, Wyoming was obviously in the picture. Um, some of these other uh, division one double A's and it was before like YouTube got really big. And so I, I, I tell this story, you think, you think that like, yeah, you're the best athlete at your school. You think your shit doesn't stink. You think that you're this D one for sure. That's it. And then YouTube came out and, um, you realize that you're really not that good. <laughs> yeah. I found that out pretty quick. Um, people, re some people don't realize like a D one, it's a full ride or nothing like that's, they don't offer half. So people, you either can get like a preferred walk on, they call it. Um, then I went to U university of Wyoming, did that. And I only knew one person. I wanted to kind of go where I knew nobody. So it was kind of a little bit opposite of your situation. I just wanted to leave. And, uh, Dickinson ended up offering damn near full ride for that. So I ended up coming, starting all four years playing. Um, I paid for it in surgeries, but I didn't pay for actual tuition, but it was a great experience, man. I couldn't ask for, I was from a really small town, five, 4,000, 5,000 people. And so going to a classroom where a teacher knew you very well, same as Mary, I mean, very similar. Um, I, I really gravitated towards that and really gravitated towards, um, coach Stanton in a sense, I, I played under coach Bijou for the first year and then coach Stanton took over, but just that small group community of people. And I'm sure Mary had the same thing. What, what position yeah. did you play? Outside linebacker. Outside. So, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. I, did you end up, how, how did that, that career go? How did you, uh, progress through your football career? I mean, I was kind of, uh, Utility, like if yeah. they if they needed something, I'd go in. I did a lot of special teams, mm -hmm. um, but never started. 
Um, never did any of that. Ended up ruining my shoulder my senior year. Labrum. Uh, it's a joint. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, and it basically, well, that was the the cap, but it was nothing spectacular. Like it wasn't anything I was going to come back from that injury Yeah. and that there was going to be a lot of resource put into me because I wasn't, wasn't a top guy. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I came in being a big fish in a little pond and thought I was going to do that at the next level. Mm-hmm. And once I got there and the level of competition was so much greater and, and all of a sudden it, it kind of, instead of rising to that occasion, it, it kind of cowed me and yeah. I, you know, I was a hitter. Um, mm-hmm. and I just, I never got that back. I never got that attitude back. I, and I, I think I would mark it up to you having possibly more maturity at that age than I, I did. It was, I knew I wasn't going to play pro. I knew all these things. I wasn't that great, but I just had a very linear and tunnel vision mindset. Like every single year, freshman through senior year, I had a surgery and came back and played surgery, came back and played. It was a lot of stupidity, to be honest. Like I, I, I pay for it now, but in the profession that I'm in, I'm able to mitigate that a little bit. Um, but I, I paid for it, um, physically very, very bad. And I think I could have, I could have taken some of what you did and possibly not be in some of the pain that I am now. Cause it's, you don't realize how, how small of a actual effect you have, you know, it's, it's Dickinson state football. You have this, this group of people and you think you're on top of the world, but in, in the big scheme, it's really not that big of a deal, you know? And I, I came to the realization after my last knee surgery and it took a while, but that was senior year. Um, realized that you can't play football forever. And, uh, it, it was, it was a hard time, but as, as you know, the hardest thing for me and possibly it could be a different answer for you. The hardest thing for me was not having those guys, not having your friends. It's just like the military, you know, you have those people. That was what was hardest for me is getting out of it that way. So, um, from there, um, you left and some of your travels, did you stay primarily there or did you travel elsewhere after that? So I primarily stayed in, uh, Northern part of New Zealand. Okay. Uh, so I went down and I made wine. I was working uh, for a big winery down there. Um, and then after my first six month tour there, um, we rented like an RV, traveled the whole island. Um, and then I went back for another six month vintage. And then I went to Queenstown, which is like the equivalent of like a big resort town, like Vale or any of those, or, um, trying to think of like what's out West, um, White, like Whitefish or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so it was a cool resort town because there was small winemaking there. Um, But then it was like ski areas and skydiving and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. So I bounced in a bar um, and hung out there for a while. And then uh, my V6 fired and uh, went to Australia for a minute and then did about three months in Southeast Asia. Cool. Just traveling around. and That's awesome. So from start to finish, how long were you gone? Like better part of two, two and a half years. Sweet, yeah. dude. My sister really enjoyed that. I, I found myself not jealous, but envious of getting to see that because she, she came back with a completely different perspective, got to, um, she was, she was everywhere. She, so she had leukemia when she was in fifth grade, fought back from that in 1998. Leukemia was a lot scarier than it is now. Even, even still today, it is scary, but fit, fight that off, went to, uh, all over India, all over, um, Australia, New Zealand, Antarctica, a bunch of different places. And she ended up landing in India for about 13 years. And, uh, she, we, we talked about a little bit on our podcast together, but her, her vegan 
um, her vegan experience was very net positive for a while. And then her body actually began to deteriorate. And I don't mark that up to any single factor. I mean, there's a lot of different things behind that. And so a lot of people would say, well, Hey, it was bad for her. It's bad for everybody. Um, I, I find it different because I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm uh, a high caloric uh, mediator. I eat a lot. And so uh, for people that don't know, um, well, first off, here's a question for you. Did your travels at all kind of uh, draw you into this lifestyle a little bit? Not at all. Not at all? Yeah. Okay, cool. So anyways, for people that uh, don't know, Sean and a good buddy set up this, uh, this, I'll let you explain it. You go ahead. So for it, was, it. it was a challenge. Yeah. So yeah. it was three months of um, a strict carnivore diet versus a strict vegan diet. And I had done vegan for about, I want to say like seven or eight months uh, once before mm-hmm. uh, during a training cycle. And uh, it was more of, I had a good buddy that is a vegan bodybuilder. And he was like, hey, like I, I challenge you, like you can't do this. And yeah. I, it was more of a, hey, F you, yep. like of course I can. And my body responded so well in the type of training that I was doing that when Billy called, cause he had known I did that and he wanted to do this challenge. Yeah. Um, it was easy for me to be like, yeah, I'll step back into that. That's, so that's awesome. Um, and so you guys have been kind of, uh, documenting that journey a little bit. Uh, did you say you guys got blood work before prior yeah. to blood work prior? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and you guys were a month in, um, doing, doing that. How has his experience been? on the other end. So he, the, the cool part for him is he's only eating things that he's killed. So he's also on top of being a cop in Denver. He also is part of a hunting network. Uh, they just launched. Um, and so he wanted to show that he could create a sustainable carnivore carnivore lifestyle off of things that only he's harvested. Um, so he's doing a lot of deer meat, um, wild hog, that kind of stuff. Um, he did it more so for a lot of the studies and talk that's coming out now is, I mean, kid grew up with heart asthma, ton of allergies, and they had, he had been talking to a lot of people that saw positive results of those things improving with a carnivore diet. And so that was his big driving factor in jumping into it. Um, he saw improvement. Um, I think it's just not sustainable. Like just it's, he was eating the same thing every day, every meal, I mean, waking up, having ground deer for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, um, it gets old after a while. You you want some variety. Uh, you want to do what's best for your body, but you also want something that makes it exciting to go fuel your body, to fuel your nutrition. For sure. A lot of those studies come out, um, talking about like autoimmune disorders and diseases. A lot of people have seen amazing benefit of it. And right off the bat, I kind of looked at it as, um, I had a closed off perspective to it to some extent. I thought it was just kind of the the rich guy wanting to eat a, a ribeye every day, you know, but you can make it. And I like the idea of doing it off of things you're just harvesting. That's that's a really cool mindset. Like you look at guys like Cameron Haynes um, doing his way of life, which is really cool. Um, and so I I could see myself traveling that path after after height or excuse me, college. I had three major concussion or excuse me, two major concussions where I was completely knocked out and, um, I was having some serious memory issues. And so I went completely, um, what you would call modern ketogenic. Well, little did I know early on, and I, I did this strict for two full years. Um, not a, not an off day. 
and it helped a lot. And weight loss was a byproduct of it, but I wasn't searching for that at all. It was kind of restore in between the ears. And, um, now looking back now, I was probably a lot closer to more carnivore than anything else, because that was what's, what was available. It was easy. You didn't have to make vegetable, a lot of vegetables, yeah. you know? So I, I can see, I can see where he's coming from for that. So he did see a little bit of tangible, yeah, yeah, saw a tangible improvement yeah. as, as far as his health's concerned. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I mean, it's, were the tangible benefits enough to outweigh how tough that yeah. lifestyle is permanently? So, so okay, then on your end, um, watching some of your stuff, you you have seen tangible um, improvements to some extent, and I'll ask you that same question: that uh, the sustainability or the tangible outcomes outweigh that, or what were some of those tangible outcomes? So for me, I mean, as far as like distance training, so yeah. being on the bike, uh, running swimming, that kind of stuff. I always see a really big improvement and that's just how my body responds. That's yeah. why I like that diet. Um, I always preface this conversation when I have it with people, I'm like, nothing is a dead on fit for anybody. Right. So CrossFit's for some people, it's not for other people. Carnivores for some people, it's not for other people. Yep. This diet isn't for everybody. I would never tell somebody like, this is the way to go. Like you have to do this. Uh, my body just happens to respond really well to yeah. it. Um, I mean, I saw a reduction in weight, obviously. Uh, it's hard for me to keep a lot of calories in. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's just, for me, it was more a physical longevity of, like, my ability to get on a treadmill uh, on my normal diet, on my kind of everyday diet versus vegan is tenfold. I mean, really? I, it's just, I, you, do, you, you know, the muscle fatigue for me, it, I don't catch up as fast. So. Really? I, and. A lot of times, that's why I was telling you before, I don't want to take a, a black or white. A lot of times endurance distance running can find a huge benefit from um, being vegan. And then you get the opposite side of the spectrum, um, strictly carnivore as well. You're, you're pretty much look either of these sides of the spectrum. We're looking at either distance runners that are carb loaders. There's a lot of carb loading in, um, distance running and endurance. And then there's the opposite end of completely restricting those and getting on ketones or going the, the vegan route. And me not having that, uh, actual tangible experience doing that. I, I never dove in. Um, but all the research is very promising. And you even said sleep improved, um, stuff like that. Uh, I've been very gifted in the sleep category, so I'm, I'm very lucky, but a lot of people have said that a lot of people have, um, really seen the tangible results of sleep energy. Um, so were you able to sustain, was it more strictly endurance training or were, were you, were you pushing weights too? what I was pushing a lot of weights and I didn't see the drop off that I typically expect with my weightlifting. Yeah. Um, but also, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into it down the road, but full-time building a tiny house, full-time working, exactly. I wasn't in the gym near as much on this set of my vegan diet as I was the last time when I did it for seven months. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of hard to really compare and contrast between the last time I did it and this time, because my time Different. was spent differently. Yeah. A lot of people, and that's the big thing where on the other side of powerlifting, there's only a very few, there's a strong man. I forget his name. Um, I'll think of it, but he's, he's actually a complete vegan. Um, and, but then you have to, then you have to insert into the equation, types of steroid use and that, that can really skew some things. Um, so do you think 
and this is, this is obviously just a anecdotal question, but do you think that you could have possibly sustained strength levels with the way that you felt now? Do you think you could have sustained those for a little bit longer, two to three, four months, um, going complete vegan? You oh, felt yeah, very absolutely. comfortable. You could. Yeah. Good. I mean, and, and that's off the experience of last time knowing, yeah. you know, that after I was done endurance training that I was able to back off of the vegan thing and jump right back into the gym and be as proficient, if not more proficient yeah. than I was before. But that was also training effect. And were you, and this is my biggest question for, well, there's my sister in India. They didn't have Western um, supplementation and that stuff. Were you um, consistently even prior to, or this time supplementing when you were doing the vegan diet? So prior to the first time I did it, I was all, all in. in anything I could grab this time, since it wasn't designed for net training effect, um, it was mostly just supplementing in protein, vegan proteins, yeah. just to make sure that I was keeping those levels, that intake where I wanted it. Mm -hmm. That's what I, cause I asked a lot of my, my sister questions. They didn't have very good testing and actual, I mean, she said when she was very, very sick and she was wasting, um, away, they had her pee in a cup and the doctor would shake it and look at it, shake it and look at it. no testing, no nothing. He's like, you need to go home. He said, your body is not reacting to our lifestyle. Um, walking in these mountains, eating this food. He took her to, it'd be the Jackson hole, or it'd be this tourist spot in India where this is the only spot where they were serving meat. And she went there, was able to eat meat and felt a net positive change after that. And she actually ended up leaving. Um, she ended up getting a parasite from the lifestyle and, uh, almost ended up killing her in the end, but she was able to come back and she, she sees both sides. She's still very, very, um, vegetable and fruit heavy. Uh, but she's still introducing a lot of the meats and she, she has a different, um, outlook on it because she was a yoga instructor. And so I didn't even think about this. We got on the podcast and she said, when you're in India, and you're a, a true yoga instructor, there's like a, there's a lot of pressure and there's a preconceived notion that you are vegan. Like that's, that's your lifestyle at your practice. And so, um, it was almost forced upon on her and in your situation, you guys were able to kind of do this little challenge. That was pretty cool. But when I look at it from an outside perspective, I don't put the hammer down on it because the, the, I mean, everybody's probably seen the movie game changers and a lot of this stuff. A lot of the, that data is from the American standard diet to vegan, and you're going to see a huge net gain, huge. But how I look at it, if, if we can get people to increase their fiber intake, get more antioxidants and actually consume more vegetables, it's a net positive for me, you know, because there's a lot of people that can't and will not do that. So if it takes the extreme to get there, I, I would be completely fine with that. Well, that was a lot of the conversations that we had that no one ever saw. Billy and I would call each other and he'd be like, man, I'm just dying, eating the same thing every day. And I'm like, man, yeah, I, I'd go for steak right now. Yeah. And we talk about all the time that probably where the average person falls is somewhere in the dead middle of what we were doing, like a good, solid, healthy meats, good helping of vegetables, things that you don't typically see in a standard diet Yeah, is kind of the way to go. Like kind of the old tried and true. Exactly. So. Exactly. I, I, th I think it was really cool. Um, I'm excited to kind of see that. And so you were still, you're still completely, um, weight training as well. Correct. So it's, I, that's where I find that maybe I'm more closed off. Maybe I think that I wouldn't be able to hold that, you know, to some extent. And I, I hope to see that 
that s- sustains for you, that you can actually really, really um, hold true to that. And so when is your, uh, when's this next Ironman coming up? So I'm planning on uh, Calgary's in August nice. and then possibly um, going down to Mexico in September. That's sweet, man. So we'll see. How, so how many of those we were talking earlier, how many of those have you done thus far? So this will be my third. Nice. Yeah. And is it, uh, do you true, you truly enjoy those or was it something that you kind of just stumbled upon? So, I mean, you and I can go back and forth all day like that void that you had after you got out of college. Right. Yeah. And that need for competition, that need to do something to push your body, to get you up in the morning, to go to the gym, to do whatever. Um, I needed something. I needed something. You know, I was so burnt out after years and years and years of being in the weight room full time, um, running all the time. And, and I needed something to re kind of ignite that in me. Um, and so, uh, got in, did a little sprint. It was awesome. You're done in like 25 minutes, 30 (laughs) minutes. And like there it's eight o'clock in the morning and they have like beer vendors set up. And I'm like, yeah, this is, these people are awesome. So that was kind of the, the Fourier into mm-hmm. it. So it's, it's kind of a cool group of people though, too, man. Like you yeah. can get a, you can get a part of some really cool groups. I have a bunch of um, buddies, Wyoming, Montana, Canada, South Dakota, and then a kid, a good buddy in uh, North Carolina that we all can most of the time we try to, when our schedules get together, but we try to get to an event and it's a really cool, uh, we were talking about um, Spartan races. It's kind of that same group of people. Uh, you get to, you get to be a part of a bigger group of people that want to better themselves to some extent. And I've, I've truly loved that because you can get that competitive edge. You can get a little bit of part of a group. And, um, I've really gravitated towards that. I've just been more on the short burst, <laughs> the short, fast burst. Stuff. I think it's really hard here because there's not like when I was in Denver, you know, when I was oh, back home, yeah. like it's, it's a community, like professionals train out of Boulder all the time. Like there was a huge community. Yeah. of people and you'd go to the gym and you'd be swimming next to somebody and be like, Oh, what do you try? Oh, I'm training for the same event. And like all of a sudden you're best friends. Yeah. Like here it's very different. Um, and there's like, people are like, well, you're insane. Like, why would you want to do that? Like same thing with the vegan thing. Like people yeah. are like, why would you want to do that? Like there's just, there's definitely a different mindset here to that training style or that lifestyle or whatever it is. So it definitely makes it a lot harder when you don't have a group that's kind of supporting you to get you up in the morning, go see them at the gym, go hit a run, go whatever. So yeah. it's, I, I think Dickinson is it as itself or, but North Dakota, they've been trying, but like, you don't have, you don't have the landscape that Montana has that Colorado has that you can really like even back home, they have made a rock climbing camp. Um, it really, Alex Honnell goes there all the time. It's a really world renowned camp. And those are people that like my sister has been involved with both of them. It's a cool group of people that I actually, I gravitate towards. I am a registered Republican. I have conservative views, but I also like, I really, there's something that my heart gravitates towards to that little bit freer lifestyle um, that comes along with a lot of this rock climbing, these, these competitive people. And even in Boulder, you get a lot of that. And I don't know, I don't, maybe I don't know what it is, but I, I do, I do share views with them to some extent, you know, You're right. There's something intrinsic that really yeah. draws you to those people, that lifestyle, yeah. because it's kind of from where, at least I think we sit, like, it's not something that we would do, like not something that we'd embrace full on, but you want a piece of it. Yeah. Like you just want to feel it a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. I, I think that is, I, I do share some of those values. And the originally when I reached out, I was very, very interested in um, your tiny home, your, your minimalist living, um, being able to be mobile at, to some extent. And uh, I, uh, I'll let you kind of go, what got you into that? I got a video of yours to pull up here. So I'll kind of let you just go over that real quick. What got you into it? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I'm not really sure what initially triggered it. Um, I mean, it's like anybody else, you you're surfing the internet and you're like, man, that's, that's really cool. Like all the ingenuity that goes into it. So the, the engineering side of me is like, man, this is genius. Like how do you mm -hmm. cram everything that you need into such a small space? And then it's just me and the dog and you know, I'm never home anyway. I'm always working. Yep. I'm always at the gym. I'm always whatever. And, um, so I researched for probably three years before I finally pulled the trigger. I went out, uh, this is my trailer. I went out to Seattle and got it. Um, and, uh, pulled it back, uh, completely gutted the whole thing and rebuilt it to exactly what I need. So, um, dude, I, a lot of times people look at these, these mobile, tiny homes, all this stuff. This is a large one. Yeah. This is very, this is a big sized one, a lot bigger than a lot of stuff that I've seen in the past. Right. Yeah. It's, it seems pretty, it seems pretty extensive. A lot of the work I was telling you before I got on here, um, that, I, it would be a, it would be a steep learning curve for me, but you had a little bit of experience prior to building uh, yeah, construction so work. I've done frame building of houses. Uh, my old man's an amazing woodworker. Um, so I grew up with that, but on the other side of that, um, he's come up and helped a couple of times and there's woodworking techniques and techniques I've used in here that, I mean, even he's blown away with that. You we're in such a cool time where you can learn anything. Right. Uh, you, can reach out, you can reach out to somebody or get on YouTube and, and figure something out uh, because there's no blueprint for doing something like this. No. Um, like if it was a stick built, uh, you know, there's tons of companies out there that do that. Or like um, a little sprinter van. Yeah, a exactly. There's that. a lot of people doing that. Um, for me, this is a 1953 trailer that no one that I know completely. There's a few people that live in them full time, but they're still in that mid-century modern. No one had ever taken one done, you know, full touch screen controls for the whole house, yeah. built their own electrical system, done all their own plumbing design, um, and basically taken it to the frame and then built the entire thing back. Yeah. So, and, it, and it's not finished yet. Um, for people that don't know, you're living in it now. It um, time, yeah. yeah. With construction going on, uh, actively start to finish. When, when did you decide to do this? When did you get this? So I picked this up into June last year. Yeah. Oh, wow. You got a lot going already. That's, yeah. it's insane. I, I really, thought it was really cool. The, the minimalist view, but maximizing space was a huge thing for you in here. Um, I really, I thought the the shower and the, um, the, like the bathroom setup was really cool. So it actually goes down into a chamber is burnt into ash and then you can dispose of it that yeah, way. So it's an incinerated toilet. They've been big in Europe for probably 10 years now. And they've just really made the big push in the United States. I happened to run across a video of one mm -hmm. and I was like, well, that's genius. I don't have to deal with black water tanks. I don't have to deal with emptying that. So yeah, it literally has a liner. Uh, you do your business. It drops into an incineration chamber and they have different styles. So you can do it on propane or whatever. Mine's electric. Yeah. Uh, it burns it. It's about a 20 minute cycle. And then it is literally sterile ash. You can put it in your trash can. Wow. Did, did some of the, and maybe this is me having a preconceived notion of my sister, but did some of your travels like want, want you to gravitate towards something like this or was it 
the oil and gas, what's happening with it here that you're moving? What was like the big push to get to this? So I think living out of a backpack for multiple years yeah. was like a big, like, yeah. and then all of a sudden, you know, 10 years later, I'm in an apartment. I've got all my, you know, vehicles I'm building. I got a shop, I've got a house, I've got all this stuff. And I'm like, there was a point in your life where you were so satisfied with literally what you could put on your back and you didn't need that constant gratification of hopping on Amazon, grabbing something. Now, whenever I get something, I'm like, where am I going to put that? Do I really need that? Mm -hmm. And it has really slowed down kind of like consumerism basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's a, it's a nasty feedback loop, dude. Um, a lot of people are attached and I, I'm, I'm, I would be say I'm attached to it at some extent too, you know? Yeah. Um, I just, I, I found this very cool because I have a buddy who's building out. It's not, I couldn't, I know it's a Dodge, but it's not a, uh, it's not a complete short sprinter van. It's long. It's a big, big van. Braden Collins, um, he works at Blue 42, but I actually gave him your number because I knew that uh, you would do some of this work. What was the hardest thing building this thing out? What was your biggest obstacle? Probably electrical system. Like that's not, I mean, I've done plumbing, I've done woodworking like figuring out how to run everything I want. Cause it was going to be a full house. I mean, yeah. obviously I have a dishwasher. I have a washing machine, washer dryer. Um, I mean, you're living in this full time. I want it to be everything that you have in a modern apartment. I want to touch screen controls, yeah. figuring out how to do that when there wasn't, there's no blueprint. Um, mm-hmm. So it was, and then eventually at some point to be expandable into having solar for it, all yes. that kind of stuff to, to build a system that was smart enough that I could get down that road after this without having to tear a bunch of stuff back apart to do it. So right now, um, main, main energy source, I mean, well, for your, your stove and all that propane, uh, correct. Yep. And you want to get to the point where you can go complete solar or just partial, or what do you, what are you thinking for so that? I'd like to go complete solar. There's going to be things that you're going to have to cut out. Like yeah. I'm probably not going to run my dishwasher or my microwave or those are such big draws. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, even if it's just, Hey, you know, you got a weekend off the ability to take my entire house, go use it as a base operations and go skiing or go yep. mountain biking or whatever it is, go to a race, uh, you know, haul it somewhere, put it in an RV park and, and have You're the done. comforts of home without having to rent a hotel room or whatever, and, and just throw the solar panels up and use what you need. Yeah. So, so what's, what's your future, um, what's your future plans for this. We talked to you, you're possibly getting, uh, moving. Um, what, what's your future plans with this? So this, uh, once I'm finished, I mean, obviously my full-time live in, um, I'm a huge glutton for punishment. So I want to build another one really bad. I really, but I love, so at some point I'm sure you'll see the outside of this. So Mm -hmm. I love the idea of taking something that was made 70 years ago and completely modernizing it, making it real. I'm sure the look at the cabinetry and all that's yeah, very modern. Like the, I'm sure the Spartan purists that rebuild all these to spec mid-century modern hate that I've taken this to like American farmhouse yeah, style. Yeah. Um, but it's functional for me and it's my tiny house. Um, and there's all these different styles. And so on the outside, it's still 1950s, but inside it's, it's a very functional space. I liked and you, I think it goes here in about 15, 20 seconds to the outside, but when you polish that small spot, that is going to look slick on the outside. Um, and you said, where did you pick this up again? So this came from Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I never had experience with seeing something and t- take this with a grain of salt, this big as a tiny, it's a, it's a good sized, 
um, spot, but you've maximized everything. Like this is what I was talking about. This little nook, um, with the shower is pretty impressive. And, uh, so what's, what's like the, the next big project with it? What do you got to finish this? The, the so, shower yeah, here? So like that whole mid deck kind yeah. of, so all the plumbing, all the plumbing lines are in, but now I got to do all the draining. Gotcha. Yeah, so you gotta, you gotta get your water back out. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of like the next big thing. And then after that point, it's kind of all trim work and like all the finish mm -hmm. touches, that kind of stuff. Um, stuff you can easily live in while you're doing. I yeah, mean, very yeah, easy. exactly. So, um, it's definitely been a really steep learning curve mm -hmm. to get to this point, but I just had to pull the trigger at one point and be like, I have to move into it. Cause I'm sitting there looking at it every day, like oh, a little bit's going to get done. It's different when I was living somewhere else from working on it. And you're yeah. like, you get done with work and you're like, man, I just really don't. I got two hours till I got to go to you're bed. You're pressed like, now. Yeah, like now you're like, well, if I'm not taking care of my stove and I'm not finishing these things, like I'm freezing to death. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's, it's been, uh, how has that transition been? I mean, you, you grew up in, um, Colorado, you played college football, very traditional route for yeah. a young man. And, uh, how was the transition from normal living into something like this? So I think it was really, um, it was really eye opening. Like the amount of stuff that I was like, man, I got this for a costume party or like whatever. And, and I'm like, I haven't touched it again. And like the amount of things that I donated or got rid of, or that were broken parts that I was just holding on to, or, you know, yeah. memorabilia, whatever it was. Um, it really showed me what was important and how I had kind of gotten away from like, really valuing each individual thing to, yep. cause I, I, you have the ability to get so much stuff. Like if you want that gratification of it, you can do it. So it's been, it's been probably a steeper learning curve to live in it yeah. than it has been to build it. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Cause it, you look at here, every single thing has a purpose and every single thing brings, um, some type of, um, source of energy or source of something for you. And that's, that's, instead of just having a conglomerate of so much stuff that this, every single thing serves a purpose. And this is what I was talking about here. Like this, that is really, really cool. That's going to be, um, obviously can't do that work right now no. with, with the weather, but, uh, so mid deck, um, what's, and it's hard to say, and I know this is a very hard question, but what's the completion around when are you thinking that this will be complete, complete? So minus the last two weeks, I thought it was going to be the first of March. Um, yeah. but yeah. yeah, I mean, probably April, honestly, but I mean, as far as functionality is concerned, um, you know, finish off the water system, make sure the propane lines are good. Um, just kind of like that final testing phase. And then at that point it's just work. It's just stuff to make it look nice. It's all functional at that yeah. point. So I think by, yeah, first of March, it'll be all functional. And then that last month of like just the time to put in to, to make it perfect, to make it what I want. So, yeah. so, um, you, you alluded to it earlier, but, um, what's like the timeline for you possibly moving? So I thought it was going to be sooner than it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, who knows at this point, things are picking up here as far as oil and gas is concerned. So, um, I'm basically running the division I would end up going to Texas for remotely, okay. um, and sending crews out and, and doing everything from here for that. Yeah. Um, so as long as it doesn't accelerate to the point that they have to have me on site all the time, then it's going to be, you know, three months, five months, six months. Yeah. Uh, we also just acquired another company that's about the same size as us. So the plans for me going to run this division and, and get this division going again 
uh, been kind of put on the back burner until they can kind of figure out all the all the things that are involved with acquiring a company yeah. that size. Oh, the the gal that we just brought into the gym, Andrea Johnson, her husband own, is in owning a, a oil and gas um, business and how he explained it. It was very interesting to hear from somebody in the industry. Like I'm affected by it, but he's really in it was that more than likely we're with, with a lot of the stuff that's happening in our government, we're going to have another type of boom. Like, and it was very interesting to hear somebody that profits from that, that, um, is in that industry, not very excited about it. Um, just because the different traffic, all this stuff, he had a very small tight knit group of people that he could trust. Um, cause 2011, 2012, it was the wild west of our boom here. And you didn't have trustworthy crews. You didn't have uh, all this stuff. And so he, um, wasn't very excited about kind of what's happening here. Are you, is that kind of the consensus that you get? You guys are preparing for possible boom coming here. So we're busier than we know what to do with in Texas. Texas is yeah. going gangbusters because it costs so much to get our oil back out of here. That's why it's really slowed down because when your price of barrel drops, you're going to do it where it's close to the source, close to refinement, that kind of stuff. So you don't have to lose that money getting it there. Gotcha. Um, so I don't, we'll, I don't think we'll ever see anything like we saw 2011, 2012. I'd love to see just like pro progressive steady growth yep. where everybody's busy. Everybody can keep good crews. It's not overwhelming our cities. It's we can sustain it. Yeah. yeah it's sustainable. Yeah. And we saw that start to come back two, three years ago um, after the last crash, uh, kind of before all the COVID stuff really shut us down. And we were at like kind of that sweet number, 50, 60 rigs. Everybody was busy. Um, all the crews were full. You, you could get good guys um, and everybody was happy. So I'm I'm really excited. I got to come before you leave. I got to come see this thing to yeah. some extent. I'm I'm very excited. I want to learn uh, about that as we're getting ready to possibly build a house, you know. Um, aspects of minimalist living will be in it, but not to this extent, you know, well, it's you, different with the family. Yeah, oh God. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh God. Yes. Especially a gal that's originally from here, wants a nice house, all that stuff. Um, we, we talked about it very briefly. Um, any, have you done any gun builds recently? Probably not with this going on, but, uh, Kind of get into what's what's your favorite caliber the th the three hundred three hundred blackout yeah, yeah absolutely it's it's a lot of fun do you have you have your own oh yeah nice did you build it out or did you get it pre made I uh, custom built it nice yeah. nice so and a lot of the stuff I get is from so like your you know a strike or whoever like whatever yep. you know a lot of the builds I do I will get um, an individual lower from somebody I'll custom build all the trigger parts into it I don't Ooh. get pre built yeah um, pieces and then um, I've actually really gotten into bolt like a side action. Yep. So it essentially feels like a bolt action rifle um, versus having like your rear release right. on it. Yep. Um, I just like that style. It's just a fun style. It's just something different because you never see it. You go to the range, you guys are like, well, is that a bolt action? You're like, well, no, it's a, still an AR, but yeah. yeah. I got a, not not to that extent, but my my AR that I had built oof, three, four years ago, um, I just got a good, I got a nice side charging handle put on it. And I really, really like that. It's a little bit more, um, effective. If you're in an OSIT situation, you can hammer it on your arm. You can do whatever you want. Um, I really enjoyed that. But then f my first complete build, um, was in March, like by myself to complete build. I had some help from Riley Decker. Yeah. He, uh, He's a cousin, uh, my my wife's cousin, but he just got, he's building out suppressors now. So we got approved for suppressors. 
Um, do you have your 300 suppressed? I do not. Yeah. No. It's a pain in the ass, dude. Really. I mean, it's right now they're saying eight to 11 months, somewhere around there. So hopefully here soon, um, I'll get it. How long of a barrel is your blackout? So that one's a 14. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I, uh, I had, I had my five, five, six kind of just a nice mid range rifle. Um, wanted to build one, called it your self-defense home defense gun. Um, but it was, it was a f- more fun build than anything else, you know? And then I'm actually, so I got a 30 cal can for that. Well, I just got my 270 and my 300 bolt action actually threaded. So we'll be able to throw right. that on there. Yeah. See, I never got into like, I, I've shot a lot of buddies, suppressed weapons. Yeah. Um, I actually, with my tax stamps, I went and so I have a uh, few lowers sitting in the safe to build short barrel rifles. Mm-hmm. So I have stamped lowers to build short barrel rifles that yep. I can run. Um, that was more fun for me. Like that style of, yep. of firearm is a little bit more fun to build uh, versus just the ability to be unsuppressed. Exactly. So no, I like it. I, I actually stocked up on some SB tactical pistol braces. Cause I don't know how much longer, maybe that's just me being a, a, a kind of a prepper, I guess, you know, but to some extent, but, um, I, I put an SB tactical on the 300 blackout with the suppressor barrel length and suppressor is going to be around 11 to 13, somewhere around there. So it's a very nice short barreled rifle. And I went with nine because I still want to go out to a hundred and maybe poke something, but be able to really be effective yeah. within close distance. So it's such a fun, um, it's a very fun caliber. I almost Do you reload at all? I don't. Yeah. And I was thinking about getting into reloading. Then I bought a 300 blackout and I was really thinking about it. But to some extent, if I'm just doing blackout, it's, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of brain capital. And I, I could, I'm more clueless on that than most things, yeah. you know? So I think if I was shooting 458 SOCOM or something that oh, was yeah. two, 280 every time I pulled the trigger Lapua or something, yeah, yeah. you know, then yeah, down the road. But I mean, the accessibility and not as much anymore, but the companies that came out that you could buy bulk ammo for a great price. Yeah. Um, you know, the, as much time as we spent at the range and did stuff like that, it was, you, you would rather spend your time shooting than exactly. reloading. So, yeah. And you, you mentioned it earlier when I, are you a Glock guy as well? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I bought my wife. I, I took a dagger. I was, well, she wanted a gun, but she could not. So the, the Glock 44, that really nice 22 they have out now, she could not pull the slide. It was just a little stiff. We ended up getting a Ruger and actually a very nice gun. She actually really, really likes it, but I've been a Glock, got that 19. I got, um, a 10 mil, which is kind of my bear gun. Um, very fun, very yeah. fun to very simple, very easy to work on. Reliable, obviously. Yeah, you pour cement in it and still fire it. And, <laughs> exactly. I mean, they're crazy. Yeah, exactly. no, my deal is a uh, 30. Oh, 30, nice. So, nice. Yeah. How you like that? I love it. Yeah, dude. I tell people, I was, um, 90% of the time I'm in sweats and shorts or whatever. I was like, well, if I, usually if I'm wearing pants, I usually have my 19 with me yeah. damn near all the time. I don't know if that's just my conservative side of growing up in Wyoming or not, but it's nice to, it's nice to have in a no shit situation. Yeah, you know? exactly. So it's, it's something that you hope you never have to use, but 100%. you'd rather have it than, you know, hundred percent. And that, that, I mean, that argument is very one-sided to me, you know, I yeah. think, but there's obviously other sides to the token. Um, well, dude, I wanted to ask you one final question before we get off here. Um, one, I actually got two for you. Okay. One, where, and this could be tiny living wise, work wise. Um, where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? 
Um, I think I'm probably still going to be working. I hope I'm on the construction side of oil and gas. Uh, that's the side I really enjoy. Um, I think I'll probably still be doing tiny living. Yes, I sir. Mean, barring, you know, big family change. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously that has a lot to factor in. Um, if we're being honest, if I, if I, if I could pick the litter right now, if time and money weren't a factor, I would do this full time. I would yeah. build tiny houses full time. Dude. Um, I really, really enjoy it. So I think it's still going to be something that is very prevalent. I think I'll probably get away from, I build vehicles and motorcycles and all kinds yeah. of stuff. Um, I think I'll probably get away from that and do a lot more of this um, just as a hobby that maybe makes some money down the road. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think, I, I don't think it's going to change much from where I'm at now. Like this is the trajectory I've been on. And now Good. like that I'm here, it's going to be like, okay, now like settle in and enjoy it. Like this has been a long build, like settle oh, in yeah. and enjoy it for a while and, and learn everything that you can for whatever the next step is. Yeah. I, I really don't think, I really don't think that there could be a better time than now. If you progress down to that with how much this has exploded, um, in multiple places, it's just not, it's not uh, geographically locked in, but there are so many different companies popping up doing just sprinter vans themselves that we we're talking about. That would be really, that'd be really, really cool, man. I would, I would love to see that. That I mean, you could, you could do some pretty crazy stuff with those kind of builds and end up making some decent money doing yeah, it. I think like something like this that has the history in it and the technology in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't a stick built company that's putting out 40 of these a year. This is like a one off maybe once a year. I mean, this is this at the end would be a high dollar type build. And that's the type of market you want to be in because yeah. you're right. There are so many companies that are doing it. And there's so many companies that have resource to be able to do it. So like yeah. you're a one man operation, like you have to have some sort of corner. You're not going to compete with somebody that's warehouse building. Definitely. You, you'll have your niche of people for sure. Um, but I also think they appreciate that custom one person build yeah. over a long period of time. Like this is a true um, time and money investment, which would be cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and lastly, uh, knowing what you know today, um, whatever experience that you have, what is some words of advice that you would give your 16 to 20 year old self? Man. That's a tough one. You always end with that one. About 50. I have different ones with uh, different podcasts. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that I would tell them to slow down a little bit, mm-hmm. really slow down. Um, I, I look back and like we were talking like with my career and how jaded I was like, just slow down and, and think through and like enjoy being in the moment versus being like, this is where I should be, or this yeah. is what I want to do. And like, that's another piece of this is like, you're, I'm really slowed down and I'm enjoying what I have and like where I'm at and like this point in time versus being like having to be so far ahead of myself. Yeah. Um, you know, we'd all love to go back and be 16 to 25 again, knowing what we know now. But if, you know, half the time we would have just slowed down and kind of looked around and, and enjoyed that experience a little bit more, I think it, we would have gotten gotten a little bit more lesson out of it. Definitely. Mine was always just be present. When I answered this question with podcast guest, it was like, be present. Um, enjoy that. Enjoy that moment. I was always one early on in high school, first few years of college, I had drugs on my mind all the time. That, that was the, that was the sole issue. I missed out on a lot of stuff. Like a lot of my buddies that were already building guns, already getting into craftsmanship, already getting into their stuff. And I was a little bit behind. So just being present, um, plays a big role. And I've, I've kind of felt that with, I mean, COVID really put that into perspective for me. Um, 
Hey, where, I mean, you still have to eat. Where's your money yeah. coming from? And, and so I got into, um, a little bit of investing in cryptocurrencies and um, into the actual traditional stock market too, because I really realized how fickle and how fragile everything can be like that. And so um, maybe that's why I gravitate towards a little bit of this. It's a little bit more structured. It's yours. You have it. You can move anywhere you want. Like when you said that you wanted to uh, possibly take this to a ski resort or take this to something like that, that is, that's a dream, yeah. you know, that's, that's really cool. So I, I envy that. And, um, and it's not short of any, any work. This is taking a shit ton of the work. Yeah. So, um, I, I, I envy that. And I think that's pretty cool, man. So, well, we'll, uh, we'll get you up and give you the, the full dime tour and yeah, man, get you in, let's so. keep, let's keep in touch and, uh, hopefully get to see this here soon, man. Perfect. I well, appreciate you coming by brother. On, yes, sir. That is another NLX two podcast peeps. Um, if you have questions, where, where, what are you on like Facebook, Instagram, all that yeah, stuff? Sean Michael Hope, uh, Instagram is, uh, the underscore hope underscore official. Gotcha. Yes, sir. Hope official. And it has all the build pictures that people get interested. Very cool. That, so. Very cool. Well, even down the road peeps, if you ever need, uh, even if it's just small bits of knowledge about this stuff, reach out, um, go to somebody that has been successful in what they're doing. So I appreciate you coming on brother. It was, it was a lot of fun. fun. Yes, sir. We'll talk to you later. NLX2 crew.